Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is the Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Hey, welcome to episode 33 of the Back Check. I'm Brendan with Stefan Rosner, as always, and we have a very special guest joining us from a pre recorded interview. It's AJ Malesko, Islanders analyst, NBCSN analyst, and more importantly, a former gold medalist with the U.S. Women's Olympic Hockey Team. She comes on to the show. She's going to talk about the Islanders, her Olympic experience, and how we can grow the game of women's hockey. So it was an awesome interview. Definitely stick around for that about 30 minutes into the episode. But a lot has happened over the last couple of days in hockey. Rangers season comes to an end. The Islanders finally win a hockey game. Then Connor McDavid is just McJesus, right? That's the best way to say it. You didn't ask me how I'm doing today. Because I, I can't anymore with the fact that Connor McDavid just continues to go out there and do what he does. And as much as I want to know how you're doing, I want to know how he does it. Yeah, I, I mean, someone said today, like, who is Connor McDavid? I said, no, 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 that's not the question. It's what is Connor McDavid because he is not human. What he's done this season, I guess we'll start with McDavid. What he has done this season is ridiculous, first off, and he's been so good, and so has Drysdale. Drysdale just scored his 30th goal this season. The only problem with that team is their defense. That's really what it comes down to because that, I mean, McDavid with Drysdale and everything that McDavid could do, we know in the NHL it's not about one player, right? You know, it, it's McDavid can do what he's doing right now, and if no one else on the team was doing anything else, they wouldn't be a playoff team. But, you know, the question is, is their defense going to be good enough in the playoffs? Because, again, McDavid's going to score. He's going to create for his line mates. Just keeping the puck in it's been their biggest issue. And we'll see. Mike Smith has been has been solid this year. He really has been. And a veteran guy, you want to see him go out because he just probably only has, what, this year, maybe next year left in his career. He's really towards the tail end of it. You want to see them win. And the Oilers, the fan base deserves some playoff wins as well. Yeah, they definitely do. And you mentioning Mike Smith just had me thinking. I want to send the congratulations out to Ryan Miller on a great career. He announced his retirement. And, you know, it might not be recognized enough because of the last couple of years being a backup in Anaheim, but he might be the greatest American goalie of all time. That and what he used to bring to Buffalo, even when Buffalo was bad. I mean, he left before it got real bad. But when even when they were not great in the standings, when they used to come to NASA Coliseum, and I remember going to a bunch of Sabres games, when Miller was in net, you were always worried about, oh, God, it's going to be a hard night for the Islanders because he was just he was just that good. And you remember him in the Olympics, and it's tough to talk about when he allowed the, I mean, he allowed the Crosby goal, right? Correct. Which is brutal, and it was a tough goal. But Miller is very underrated, I think, for what he brought in his NHL career. Yeah, 100% he is. And he, he's one of those goalies that if he was outside of Buffalo, like he made Buffalo good, but if he was on any other team that was a little bit stronger during his prime, you're talking about somebody who has multiple cups and easily the greatest American goaltender of all time. But going back to the McDavid point, he's absolutely nasty. It's like he's playing at an elite level in junior hockey. You know what I mean? Like that's the numbers he's putting up where you just are not accustomed to seeing this anymore in the NHL. The last people to do this, Kucherov had a great season with 120 points. McDavid just put up 153 games. I mean, he's almost averaging two a game, which is just crazy to me. And Leon Dreisaitl won me a fantasy hockey championship. So I love that, man. So to go back to McDavid, Dmitry uh, Filipovic on Twitter, if I pronounce that right, my bad. This He broke down McDavid's last 10 games. I just want to read it out because he just got it, got it here. Four points, three points, two points, four points, three points, zero. What a tough night. Three points, four points, three points, three points. He's playing on rookie mode. It's crazy. He's literally putting up uh, like road to the show numbers for NHL 21. 
Uh, that's basically what he's doing, where you put that mode onto easy and you're like, okay, I'm just going to walk down the left side, cut to the middle and shoot short side. And I'm going to get all these genos and think I'm the best shell player of all time. That's what McDavid does in professional hockey. And it's, he does, it's not like he's a pure goal scorer. He's really a playmaker. He, his vision is absurd. He, I mean, when you think about elite goal scorers, you think of snipers. He could do it all, which is why he's so hard to defend. Because, by the way, also, we've seen him, I think it was against Riley last year, when he stopped and then went speeded right past Riley and broke yep. his ankles pretty much. Him off, yep. And it's not even the, the – it's the finishes. He loves to do that little backhand, forehand chip shot. and You just watch the goals go in and go, how does he do it? How does he do it? Because, you know, you, there's no debate. That Gretzky's the greatest hockey player of all time. But I'm sorry, McDavid is the most skilled hockey player we have ever seen. The speed, hands. You know, we're talking about McKinnon, where he's explosiveness with the puck, without. But McDavid is just he's just another level. level. And it's it's crazy because we're watching now, right? And we're trying to appreciate his career. We really are. And the funny thing is, what, is he our age? We're, we're talking. <laughs> he's our age, which really sucks for it's us. Not for him. But in like 10, 20 years, when he's no longer playing, we're going to look back to the same way people that looked back and watched Gretzky play. Because, you know, we didn't watch Gretzky play. Maybe the some of us saw like the tail end. But really, it's about just you hear about it. And you talk about, oh, he was that good. And he was amazing. And we're living through McDavid, but we're not really – we're not going to appreciate it yet and give it like 20 years. And we go back and go, you should have seen McDavid play because, oh, my God, we're going to feel like our parents talking about Gretzky and the crazy players that played in that age because – it's just unreal, and you, we really are not going to appreciate it. We just aren't. Yeah, not until he's done. And I can't wait until a couple of years down the road where he gets bored of how good he is and he starts trying like new new stuff in games because you mentioned it. His signature move is he, he could blow by anybody. Right? It doesn't matter. Nick Letty is such a good skater, and I feel like Connor McDavid would just blow by. Right? Oh, yeah. it just, that's how talented he is skating-wise. But he comes down on the goalie, and every time he does the same thing, and they can't stop it because you got to respect the fact that he can go cross crease. And eventually he's going to go, all right, let's try something new. And once he starts doing that, oh, my God, it's going to be just crazy to watch what he does because it's going to work. He's just that good. Wait until it brings in the Austin Matthews semi-toe drag, and then he starts – it's just – I feel bad for him because I wish he had a better team. He's with a better team because, again, yeah. now he's signed there. He's probably never leaving. And then, then, again, Gretzky was with the Oilers, and no one thought he was ever going to leave. And he left with the Kings. But that was a crazy time. We learned about that in our class, Brendan, how crazy money-wise yeah. and everything like that. That, But it just the fans at Edmonton, even if they lose, it's just must-watch hockey when he's on the rink. And it's and the thing about it, too, is you know a lot of hockey players are very humble. You don't ever hear hockey players brag. The only person I've ever seen brag was Tom Wilson the other day when he did that in the box with the, the flexing because you never see that. But they showed yesterday his like stats over the last couple of times, the amount of assists, and he's just getting back on the ice like a regular shift. It, it's crazy because when you're that good, you feel like you, you would talk about it from time. He never – he never says a word about his skill. And, again, he's a captain. He's about the team winning. And he, he doesn't care. If, honestly, at the end of the day, he does not care if he has zero points in a game. If his team finds a way to win, great. But the real thing is if he doesn't have points, they're not winning a hockey game. And he just carries the team on his back. With the Dreisaitl. crazy thing is is that I think you can count the times on one hand where he doesn't have points. Yeah, last 10 games, he has one game where he doesn't have points. And I think every other game was two points and stuff like that. It's, just, it's unreal. It's ridiculous what he's doing. And the fact that there was no training camp, like I, I know that some people go, he's playing in the North he Division. He had COVID. Yeah. He's playing in a North Division where, sure, the defense might not be the same, but you play the same team so many times, eventually they pick up on your tendencies and you just can't still, you still can't stop them. And the fact that Austin Matthews in that same division putting up 40 goals in 50 games and it's just not getting talked about because of how good McDavid is just shows how special he really is. Yeah, so he's on pace – I'm trying well, to five that. million points. Yeah, it's it's about five million. I, I didn't carry the one, but yeah, it's about five million. It's it, it's just it's absurd. And like I said, it's going to take time for us to really look back and realize just how good. Hopefully, hopefully, he wins a cup. I really don't care if it's Edmonton, just because that franchise is it is what it is. I don't care where he goes as long as he wins ones. Because if if his career goes by and he doesn't win a cup, that'll be the ultimate. Best player to never win. I mean, we talk about oh, players. Like I mean, it's not even going to be a question. And if he doesn't win and he looks back, all these amazing plays aren't for nothing per se, but at the same time, it's like when we talk about Mike Trout in baseball not playing in the playoffs. It's a travesty. It's a travesty. Yeah. What is he batting? A 444 right now, 500? It's a travesty. Crazy. They're not in the playoffs. But let's go to some Ranger talk because when we recorded last time, 
we missed about about twenty minutes of. <laughs> we of really did, man. We really did. Being you know fired, and we we didn't really talk about it. So, Brendan, give me your take on what transpired. I remember your first reaction was "What the f" on Twitter. I remember that was the first <laughs> thing you typed, and I was like, "Uh oh, what happened?" You know, what is your take on this? And what is your take on Drury now stepping in because he seems like he is more than capable of handling this job effect, handling this job effectively. So my initial take was exactly what you said. <laughs> yeah. Word for word, exactly what I said. And the only reason that was my initial reaction is because they're adamant that it was performance-related. But if it's performance-related, yeah. why fire the president after 24 months, the GM, and keep the coach? Yeah. Like Usually performance, you start with the coach. And if a new coach comes in and they still struggle, then you look at the brass and go, okay, what are you building here? I personally think James Dolan saw what happened against Wilson and the Islanders and saw that they need some physicality, didn't like where the skill was not being protected, and just took matters into his own hands. And I think that the reason he did it is because, A, he's James Dolan. He just does whatever he wants. We've seen it with the Knicks for countless years. But Chris Drury was getting interviews for GM positions. So this is not someone that they're just naming GM and he's got you know zero experience in the position and no one knows if he's going to be able to do it. There are other teams in this league that believe in his hockey knowledge. Yeah. And I think that rather than lose him, they like what he has to say. They like the direction he might take this team. And that swap really does not bother me, Gorton, for a jury. Gorton did a great job. He had a lot of luck when it came to lottery and trades that just happened to be made for him. But he also lost a couple of trades really badly. Chris Jury, I feel like, will do a great job. Well, Glenn Sather still has a bigger role than we thought. And, uh, I mean, John Davidson, as a president, didn't really have a huge impact. So I'm not sure that that will be a, a big, big loss. It's a big loss for Rangers fans because Davidson's love. But we'll see what Drury can do. It's not a terrible move, and it doesn't affect the on-ice product unless he starts to make some outrageous decisions. But right now, it's okay. We'll see what happens at the draft, the offseason when it comes to expansion, and what they do to bolster up that fourth line, get some physicality, and potentially add some more – top-notch skill guys as well. I mean, this is a big offseason for Drury because this is the Ranger team you're talking about that, you know, you could use excuses all you want, but I think for the Rangers it's fair. And, again, you don't rely on one player, but the fact that Panarin missed time with the Russian thing, you know, injury towards the end of the year, Zabanadet didn't really get hot because he had COVID. I'm okay with accepting those excuses because you're talking about two of your best players not being in the lineup on a young team that really needed leadership. And those guys not being in the lineup sucked. It hurt a lot. And do you think Quinn is around when hockey begins next season? This is the biggest question. Yeah. It really is because Jury was uh, he was a proponent of Quinn's when they first hired him. He liked him. And I think that when you look at Jury, he's been the Hartford GM. So he's been focused more on development. Now that he's getting that bump, he knows that it's it's playoffs or bust next year and they have to get next to that next level to win a cup. So I'm not sure if he is. And, I mean, you look at the other names. Tortorella just got let go. Yeah, do, that's... They, do they have a reunion with him? I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that. Babcock's name has been thrown out there. Definitely not a fan of that. I do like Rick Tockett, who just got let go from Arizona. I think he's a very good coach, very underrated. And what he did with an Arizona team that didn't really have any big names, but how they played defensively is kind of like a step below trots, if you will. So that kind of mindset might benefit these young Rangers. Uh, so I look, I look at him. Jury's very close with Chris Knobloch. Could that be a candidate? You know, is Gerard Galan a candidate? There, there's a lot of options that they can go if they do choose to replace Quinn. And then there's also the option that they keep Quinn and, and see what happens next season because they did finish over 500 again. So we will see what they do. Um, I'm very interested because I don't think it's going to take long if they do fire Quinn. They have their exit interviews uh, Monday. And if, if that goes the way that I think it will, I, I do think that they will be looking for a new head coach. I am curious to see where Gerard Gallant goes just because I really want him to go to Seattle just for the fun of it that yep. he probably goes in the Hall of Fame for being the first coach to start off two franchises, probably. The for- unfortunate thing is after a year, after they go to the cup final, Seattle will end up going there. He'll get <laughs> fired because that was just crazy. It's crazy that he got fired and that they got better after he got fired, um, but that was tough. But I feel like for a Ranger team, I don't know. I like him as a coach. I think I don't think Torrell is a great fit because – not that he's too hard on the players, but they have a lot of young players, the Rangers. I don't know how – I feel like uh, Torts is a big veteran guy. I like Trotz. Is. I feel like he wants the most out of his veterans. And he also doesn't take – you know what? He benches a lot of guys. I don't know how that would sit on Broadway. I know he's yeah. been coach in the past, but with a lot of young guys that are learning still, 
and they make mistakes. I don't I don't know how comfortable I'd be with how strict he's been because especially in you know about Columbus and what's happened with them and Line comes over and has been terrible. Blani also got scratched a couple of times there, and I feel like it doesn't sit well. A new player is coming over. He's trying to get Ackman. He's struggling. I don't think – I get it. I get watching the replays. Maybe he didn't try in that shift or not, but at the same time, you got to – I mean, I feel you got to let your players play, especially when a guy like the Columbus yeah. is trying to make a playoff spot and Line is a talented individual. We know how good he is at scoring goals, and they need to score goals, and he makes a mistake. I get that at holding people accountable, but maybe talk to him after the game, you know, one mistake in a game doesn't define a player. I don't think if that was the case, I mean, David did something stupid and you take him out for the rest of the game and you, you're hurting your team. I know yeah. you're making a statement, but it's like the Islanders, Matt Barzell. There's been time this year that he's been benched, but never for like, okay, in the first period, made a mistake and he's gone for the year. He knows, Trotz knows and Barzell knows and Barzell makes some mistakes. Trotz is going to talk to him. He might sit a few shifts, but you're at the end of the day, you're hurting your team as a whole when he's not on the rink. So I get the wanting to bench, but I just think the Rangers are such a young team that I don't know how that meshes. But I do like the Coyotes coach as well. I mean, what he did defensively is what the Rangers really got to do. Yep, and I agree. Is they don't have to score. I mean, they have the power to score five or six goals a game, but it's they don't have to. And that's a luxury because the Islanders aren't going to score five or six goals a game. They have to rely on defense. If they score two to three and they win a hockey game, great. For the Rangers, they can score three or four. This whole season has been about keeping the puck out of their net in big moments and breakdowns late in games or not winning those close games. That's what the Rangers have to focus on. So I think if they get a coach that focus, focuses a lot more on defense, because offense is going to be there regardless if you have an offensive coach or not. The problem is just protecting that lead. And if the Rangers could learn how to protect their lead, they're finishing the top of the division. I mean, their offense is that good. They become an elite hockey team like the Vegas. They remind me of Vegas if they get their defense in order. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you just said. And I, for those reasons, too, is why I'm a little skeptical on Tortorella. I do think he knows how to get the most out of a team, which I do like. And for all the flack he gets, I mean, the guy won two Jack Adams awards. He's won the Stanley Cup. He took a Columbus team that was at the bottom of the league, never won a playoff series, and they did win one. So this is somebody that yeah, – exactly. That he knows how to win. Yeah. Okay? You might not like everything he does, but the guy knows how to win. So I wouldn't be completely against it right away, although I'm not the biggest fan of bringing him back. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what route they go, but I missed the Rangers record by two OT losses. That's absurd, Brendan. I I was looking yesterday when they were playing in their final game, and I was like, I remember predicting what their record was going to be. Let's just see how close. Like, I thought it was going to be far off, and then I realized, like, I said they were going to be 25, 23, and 8, and they finished 27, 23, and 6. I got to look back at mine was I probably asked the bed because the Rangers, I mean, the Islanders, excuse me, decided to just stop playing hockey for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. But uh, it'd be very interesting to see if Tortorella goes to Buffalo. Cause you just made a point there and you said they, he's a coach that knows how to get a team to win. And let's right. say Eichel is there or not, but I feel like he could be a coach that finds a way to turn a franchise around. I mean, like you said, you got a Columbus team that hadn't won a playoff series in God knows how long, what, since Rick Nash probably. Yep. I mean, it's been probably a long time. Well, no, they, they had never won a playoff series. They had never won. So I, I don't know. I see, but he'd be good in Buffalo. I don't know if he wants to do that at this point in his career and just go waste time in Buffalo. I mean, if no one else is going to sign him, like, why yeah, not? It's true. I, I, don't, I personally think that Jeff Gordon or John Davidson might find their way there as well. Oh, I said they should go as a, they should go as a package. You also have Lane Lambert, the coach of the Islanders, assistant coach. He's been getting calls, and he's a very good coach as well. I don't want the Islanders to lose him just because their coaching staff has been so good. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's deserved the opportunity to be a head coach somewhere. So he should get that opportunity. But I guess we'll we'll trans over to the Islanders, who have a big game against the Bruins tomorrow night. If they, Excuse me, tonight when we re- release this. But if they win that game, they're in third unless Boston finds a way to beat Washington. At the end of the day, the Islanders didn't do what they had to do at the end of the year to get home ice advantage. And the reason I'll say how important that is because they beat the Devils on the last regular whole, regular season home game ever at the Coliseum. I'll put ever in quotations because you never know if they come back for one mm-hmm. game here or there. It could happen. Their point percentage at home, first off, their record at home this year, 21-4-3. Now, that is a little worse than it should be because the Islanders learned how to play hockey like they had played all year. They don't drop the last couple of games they dropped at home. That's an 857 point percentage at home and a 750 win percentage. If any team needed home ice advantage, it, we talked about it. It's the Islanders, and they really S the bet on that because they could have put themselves in a spot. If they just played Islanders hockey, they are in a top two spot. But instead, they you know they fell off a little bit. They lost their way. Hopefully, fr- um, Saturday's win over the Devils, a big 5-1 win, 
is a big win for them and gets them going. Palmieri scored for the second time as an Islander. Eberle was 13 games with one goal. He scores. Brock Nelson had two, which is great because streaky player right there. Komarov looked great in the first line. Barzal scored. Eberle scored. I mean, that was an Islander hockey game. And yes, you could say all you want. It's against the Devils, which is true. Devils weren't good. Blackwood wasn't great. Blackwood got hurt on Palmieri's goal, which Oliver Walsham pass. He flipped it up in the air, lands right on Palmieri's stick. Palmieri makes a quick move, runs into Blackwood after the goal goes in. Blackwood's, you know, moving his hip. He probably had a hip flexor issue. He'd, somehow Lindy Ruff didn't pull him. That's because Lindy Ruff's old and he probably couldn't even see what was happening. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who the opponent was. It was the fact that it's a confidence. Doesn't and People on Twitter, it's crazy. How can they get confidence from playing the Sabres and the, the Devils? It doesn't matter. It's, they should beat those teams. Yeah, but it's called personal confidence. Palmieri hadn't scored a goal. He now scores a goal with a game before the playoffs, which you need him to get high if the Islanders are going to go anywhere, against a former team when he knew he wasn't playing well. That's a confidence booster. Leo Komarov making two defensive plays to get the puck up that leads to an Eberle goal and a Barzal goal. That's a confidence booster that you fit on. Like, you know, Komarov knows he's not a first-line player, but when goals he gets assists on goals like that, in the back of his head he goes, I can do this. I can help this team win. I mean, it's all confidence. Brock Nelson finally scoring. Eberle. It's all personal confidence that makes the whole team confident. The defense was great. Sorokin was great. I mean, I just don't get the argument about it. Oh, it's the opponent. It doesn't matter. Take away the opponent. It's winning hockey games. Last year, the Islanders went 0-3-4. Or 0-4-3 going into the playoffs. I forgot. It was a dark time. This season, the, the, the biggest losing streak they could have going into the playoffs is a one-game losing streak. That's it. That is big. And if they can play a good game, I don't care if they win or lose against the Bruins. I guarantee the Bruins are resting players. It depends on how, you, how much importance you put on who they face in the first round. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you face in the first round because if you beat them, you're going to have to play that another team anyway. That's very good. So it doesn't matter. But if they really want to go for that third spot, the Islanders do, and so do the Bruins, the starters are going to be in. And if the starters are in and the Islanders play a good game and lose, it's okay. As long as the Islanders play their game, I don't care. The problem is when they come out with no energy and look like crap, that the last game before the playoffs, you do not want to go in. You want to go in feeling good. Again, it doesn't matter if they win or lose. But if they go in playing their way and they're proud of the way they played, and the Bruins have been a bet the Bruins weren't a better team when they faced them early in the year. Islanders were crushing them. And then after they get hauled, the Islanders they lose two games against them. The Islanders didn't look good, but the Bruins really brought it to them. And this Bruins team has been red hot. So it's a good team to play going into the playoffs. It really shows okay. How good are the Bruins? Because we know they're going to be good again. And Tuka Rask has been on fire since he's returned. But also, how do the Islanders match up against a Bruins team that's geared for the playoffs? Now, if they rest players, it still doesn't mean you come out with no energy. you got to come out flying, kind of come out hard. Because you got to make a statement here. You go into the playoffs on, a, on just something good note. And that's the biggest thing. Trot said, I want to keep everybody healthy. Clutterbuck didn't play Saturday. He was only um, regular in the offensive lineup, didn't play. So you hope you hope you just to see a good game to go out because the playoffs are probably going to start Saturday or Sunday. And I'm going out to Buffalo Wednesday, Brendan, for my brother's graduation yep. that weekend. And I already told him, I said, if Islanders plan Saturday, I'm missing your graduation. I'm sorry. If it's a day game, I'm not going. He said I completely understand and wouldn't expect anything else because I could so see it being a day game on a Saturday. They want to get those games in. If it's a night game, I probably won't remember it happening because we'll be out celebrating, but I'm definitely – I'm finding a way to watch it. And if it's Sunday when I'm driving back, I'm going to hate myself because yep. – I'm not the one driving, but, you know, Wi-Fi is spotty on your way home of an eight-hour trek. I, the last thing I want to do is miss an Islander game. But, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, it, going back to your point on the home ice advantage, right? We talked about that a couple of times already, about how important it was for them to get it. And the main reason I've always said it was important, not because of how good they are. Obviously, that's a good thing. But the other three teams that they're going to be playing are all dominant at home as well. So if there's, a, you know – scrappy road team where they're they're proven that they could win on the road it's one thing but the islanders haven't necessarily proven that this year and now you're going to go against a boston team who's very good at home pittsburgh who's equally as dominant at home and the capitals who are very good at home so there's no easy road game in this playoff there never really is but there are some teams who tend to be better road teams and this year you're seeing four teams who are all better um uh, on their home ice so it's going to be a very uphill battle regardless of who they play, especially if they play Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has that chip on their shoulder from last year, and that's a team I just don't want to face if I'm the Islanders. So these last game, uh, this last game, I should say, against Boston, where they could jump into that three seed and wind up playing the Caps, it's it's really big. It's a lot bigger than people think. Give me the Caps. I would love to face the Caps. I mean, they're injured right now? They're in, not only they're injured, because, again, I, I, I want to beat them outright, but at the same time, the Islanders showed last year, and I know the Caps didn't play well, 
But the Islanders showed that the Caps are a team that had bullied the Islanders in the playoffs. You know, they've won playoff series against them. The Capitals are an elite team. You know, obviously, Trot's coming over. But that's a team when you look at and you beat them and you go, you feel good about yourself. Not saying the Islanders beating Florida last year, not a feel-good story, beating the Flyers. They were. They're feel-good stories. But the Capitals are one of those teams where, like, you've always thought about the Capitals franchise and dominancy, Ovechkin, those, those names that stick out, just a, a very elite hockey club. And for the Islanders that are always going to be underdogs, even if they finish first in the division or fourth, doesn't matter. They're always going to be underdogs because of their offense. They go in there and shut down the, the Capitals forwards like they did last year. They only allowed three forwards in a six-game series or five-game series, whatever it was, to score goals. Incredible. And I think the Islanders, see, the Islanders are going to be outmatched offensively whatever team they play. It's a, it's a fact. But their defense, when they're on, they outmatch every team defensively in this division. So all the Islanders have to do is take advantage of a couple mistakes, and they can win these games. The problem is, if you don't score a goal, you're not going to win any hockey game. And if you're going to score one goal game, you're probably not going to win either. But if the Islanders get a lead, which we've seen this year, when the Islanders get a lead, how dominant they are, they can take down any single team in the NHL. I really do believe that. I'm not saying that as a biased thing at all. Just because they're like when their defense is on, they are so hard to play against, yeah. and when they have a lead, it gets even better. So the fact that we'll see how the playoffs go, it's going to be grueling seven-game, six, seven-game series, I think, for every round, just because I don't see any other team that's that much better than everybody else. Everyone's in the same boat, especially in this division. When you get out of the division, you know, things are different. With anytime, Anyone that plays team in Toronto, uh, in the North should have the upper hand just because it's been a walk in the park for a lot of those teams up there, but... I just the Islanders defense is very underrated. The players we've talked about are very underrated, and I just think with how good Varlamov's been, because he's going to be the clear cut start in the playoffs. I don't think there's any question about that. How good he's been, how good the defense has been, and if players that are streaky like Palmieri, like an Eberle, like a Nelson, start to heat up, it's going to be a tough, tough matchup. I'm not going to say they're going to win every series and they're going to go as far as they did last year. It's a different season, no Lee, but it's not. The Islanders are not going to make it easy on anyone. They're definitely not. And, I mean, while we're on this playoff focus, Florida battle in, in the first round, Tampa and Florida is going to be awesome to watch. Don't knock out Florida in this one. Honestly, the Lightning have not looked their best. I know they get they get Kucherov, they get Kucherov back, and their best, obviously, were going back to a couple of years ago when they were just historically unreal, and they lost. Yeah. But, you know, I'm watching some of the games, and I don't see the, the extra life. And, again, no Kucherov. That's tough. And you're getting him back. Stan Cruz has been injured again a little bit. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't count Florida out. I think it's no. the NHL. You can't get anybody out. But Florida's story and how they're going to go into a playoff series where they've never been in a spot like this. Where they're going to go against the Lightning. I mean, that's just awesome for Florida as a whole. Especially when you look at you think of Florida teams, you never think of the Panthers. That was never a thought coming into this year. I don't think anyone had them finishing as high as they did. I think Jack Adams might be going to Quentinville, depending because what he's done with that team has been absolutely unreal. The trade deadline moves have been great. I mean, the whole from upper management to the coaches to the players, the goaltending especially too. Drager's been great. I know Bobrovsky hasn't been the superstar Bobrovsky, but he hasn't had to be. Their defense has been great too, even with Ekblad out for the year. We have to remember too, they lost Ekblad. Yep. That's a huge loss, and they they haven't gotten worse. They've made I moves. Just, I just don't know if they have that goaltending and defense to beat a Tampa Bay in the first round. And, and the Jack Adams, I think, is going to Rod Brindamore. I want to say that, but at the same time, I – I like the underdog mentality with these awards too. When you think of a coach that no one really, I mean, obviously Quentinville is a great coach. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at a team that, yeah, they probably have no shot to do anything close. And then they do that. Like the Carolina Hurricanes were probably finishing first or second. They're that good. And no one thought that Tampa wasn't going to finish first. At the same time, I feel like there should be weighted. These, these, um, Trophies should be weighted. We've talked about it all the time about, you know, how certain awards are just points based, but then you have to look, look at the, the what's it called? Look at all the elements to what goes into it. You're looking at a Florida team that again lost to Ekblad. Goaltending was shaky with Bobrovsky, and they found a way to overcome what they've overcome yep. and finish as high as they did. It's a feel-good story. I don't know if it wins them in the award, but at the same time, that's a proud organization right now and a confident one. That's the last thing you want to face going into a playoff series. Yeah, it could even go to Minnesota as well because no one predicted uh, what they were going to be doing. So th- there's a couple of good candidates. Mike Sullivan's name's going to be tossed in there because. We'll, I, don't, I don't know how we'll talk, always we'll talk more in the next episode about that. I also want to talk to you about um, uh, years where it's like, wait, was this like a fluke year? Is this something we could expect? We'll, we'll go over that on uh, the next episode. But 
Brennan, this was great talk as always. We do have to get to an interview with AJ Malesko. It was she was awesome. She said, "Oh, I'll take like ten minutes of your time." Took twenty. It was great. Really had a good time. So after this commercial break, we'll get you with the interview. So please enjoy. SUNY Cortland Sport Management is a proud sponsor of the Backcheck. In the SUNY Cortland Sport Management program, students get hands-on training in sport event management and sport media production. The Sport Management Department is the oldest sport-specific major in New York State and boasts an impressive list of alumni, something me and Brenda know a lot about. To get more info about the program, go to courtland.edu slash SPM or look up Cortland SPMG on your favorite social media. SUNY Cortland Sport Management, where the tomorrow's sport industry leaders practice their craft. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. All right, we are now very proud to welcome AJ Malesko to the show. AJ, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you guys doing? Doing great, doing great. So we're going to kick things off. I know that a lot of Islanders fans, and even me, I'm a Rangers fan, but I still love to listen to Brendan Burke. So just take us through the last couple of years, what it's been like working with, you know, Brendan Burke, Butch Goring, Shannon Hogan, and that whole broadcast. And how do you deal with Butch Goring's antics uh, time in and time out? Oh, man, I didn't know this show was going to be a, an opportunity for to, to, I don't know what I was going to say. That's what we're known for here. Bus, but no, no, uh, the MSG team is amazing. Uh, this is my third year working with them. Um, only part-time because I still do work with NBC um, and other games and I live up in the Boston area so it's a little challenging to get down there for all the games but I feel really really lucky I mean you just mentioned all the people that you guys get to see but the team goes deeper than that back into the truck and um, and the the whole production crew Uh, this year we have a new producer Steve Napolitani who's amazing and we got uh, Joel Mandelbaum and uh, Charlie and Sarah and I mean it goes on and on so we we are very very lucky um I right away hit it off with Shannon Hogan. We we met the day before we worked together for the first time and, and met for a drink and immediately hit it off. So that was that was such an easy transition. Um, I've worked with Brendan um, on, you know, on NBC games as well. And uh, Butchie is the best. He is so fun and he's hilarious and he's so he can take it, which is nice because he definitely dishes it out. <laughs> and uh, we have a lot of fun with him. But it's you know when I'm not there, he does fill in a fair amount, and he's a little bit shorter than I am, so we have a, we have some good fun with that. But when <laughs> you know Shannon can Shannon can wear her heels again when I'm when I'm working next to her. Um, and you know, Butchie loves to make fun of my hair and tell me to send me to his dog groomer and, and stuff like that. So, um, he's, he That's is great. awesome though. And you know, it's interesting though, on a serious note, it's fun to talk hockey with him, right? I mean, he played, he's older than I am, hopefully people, hopefully he looks a little older than I am, <laughs> but he is in fact, older than me. Um, and he, you know, he played it in a different era and we talk, but we see things pretty similarly. And actually Shannon, oftentimes after our production meeting, we'll be chatting and she's, she'll say, God, this is what we should, this is what our pregame show should be. Just you guys talking hockey. Um, but with that said, we also disagree. And there are times that, you know, he's much tougher on the refs and linesmen than I would be. Um, and part of it is that I, I, I do have to call games down the middle too, not, not for an Islanders broadcast. So I look at it from both ways. Um, but with that said, you know, and there are other times we'll talk about things that we disagree with. Um, I don't know, something, the way someone's playing or a lineup or something like that. But that's, that to me makes it interesting too. We're two analysts that see it um, not necessarily always from the same perspective, but uh, generally speaking, very lucky. It's a good crew. And we awesome. saw you doing the, the on-ice stuff after one of the games the other day, and you had him in the face-off dot a, a lot. I don't, know. I don't know how that made him feel, but I do have a couple of Islander questions to get to. So obviously the Islanders have been dominant in NASA Coliseum. I mean, probably one of the top teams in the league at home. 
the fact that they won't have home ice advantage in the playoffs, is that a major disadvantage or is that more from a, just a fan's perspective? I think it's from the, uh, well, I think it's a psychological um, advantage. The actual it, it being at home ice, if you think about it, it really only matters for game seven, right? You play two at two, the, the top seed plays two at home, two on the road, one at home, one on the road. And then it's that deciding game seven. So, but until you get to game seven, you have equal number of games in your barn and on the road. So, you know, to me, yes, the Coliseum has been an advantage this season for the Islanders, which is which is actually crazy without the fans because the fans are yep. awesome there. And without, I mean, there are some fans, but not full. Um, so without the fans there, I'm surprised it's as much of an advantage. You know, but then you look at it, these guys are, it's a weird year, COVID, right? When you go on the road, you're in the hotel, you're not, you're not going out for dinners, you're not meeting up with friends like they did in years past. So um, it's different. But, you know, I think the psychological advantage is you go in with confidence and you go in those first two games, you start the series at home with last change, um, all those little thing, little nuances that go into being the home team. But generally speaking, I just I don't I don't think it's quite as big an advantage as um, as maybe we like to say it is. So my mindset was, you know, starting off, like you said, confidence at home to start the playoffs is just a bigger thing. But you make great point. It's going to count down to a game seven. And with this tough division, it's probably going to end up going long series in every matchup. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you, you, even if even if they do ultimately end up in fourth spot, which we don't know quite know yet, but they can't win the division. But even if they end up in fourth, I look at those three potential matchups, and I'm not sure who I would want them to play. Right? I mean, there's there's pros and cons to every one of them. So I, I just think that it's an inter- you know I think their numbers are probably best against Boston, but that was from back in January and February, and Boston's come on really really strong lately. Has as has Pitt. Um, and, but yet Washington always presents crazy challenges and, you know, they're in the news now for other reasons, but I I do think that it's, um, it, it is nice to start off a series with that comp and to go into a series as the top seed. There's, there's no doubt there's an advantage to that psychologically. These guys are all professionals. They can manage the psychological uh, ups and downs that come with that. Yeah, they definitely can. Um, I mean, listen, watching it from an outside standpoint, right? I'm, I don't have any bias when it comes to the Islanders. In fact, Stefan will probably tell you I'm the opposite. But they do have that veteran group that you think they'd be able to kind of shake off a bad end of the season and get it done. They did it last year in the bubble. So I, I'm really interested to see what they do this year. And I think that we, me and Stefan have talked about this separately. I personally think they match up best against Washington come the postseason time, just because Washington has that kind of big edge, right? They, Tom Wilson, we've seen in New York in the last couple of days, but the Islanders aren't shying away from that. And I think that that might do them wonders. Do you think that Washington is the, the team that they might want to face while they're kind of dropping down to that four seed? Um. It's hard only because without Anders Lee, he, he he's the presence that he brings on that physical game that you're talking about. That's a big one, and and the other one is the fourth line. Now they arguably will be intact. They to me have had a um, a pedestrian year, and I don't. They haven't had a bad year, but they haven't been as as dominant as they have been in years past. For a, you know, I think if you look back at what they've accomplished over the last couple of years, and you don't. It's crazy to think that they're a fourth line. Um, so, you know, you look at the the size that, you know, if the matchup would be, you know, whoever it would be against Ovechkin or Tom Wilson or whoever it may be, if you're missing Andrews Lee, that's a, that's a tough one to me. Um, but I agree with you in the sense that it's a really known enemy, right? I, whereas Pittsburgh, they haven't seen a lot since February. I mean, they saw them six times, I think, in the month of February. Maybe check my math, but it was something like that. Boston, they saw a bunch at the beginning. I think the Islanders were the only team for a while that had beaten Boston for, for a stretch. Yes. So, you know, there were – but Pittsburgh had their number throughout. The, I mean, I think for a while, Pittsburgh was the only one that had beaten them at the Coliseum. So, you know, there's – again, there's pros and cons to all of them, but you look at all the core of all four teams, and they're all veteran – and I, I don't want to use the word aging, but that's sort of where you go. You look at these teams, and some of them, the door seems to be closing, but you can also look at it as experience. You know, you never want to write off a team that has the grade eight on it. You never want to write off a team that has 87 on it, right? And then you look down the line at Boston, and with the addition of Taylor Hall, he's been phenomenal for them since coming over. So, um, you know, you got that perfection line. Pasta has been a little under what's expected of him, but, you know, you can't count somebody like him or Marchand out in a a playoff run. So I'm dancing around your question a little bit because I think that there's a – 
they Washington may be the best matchup for them, but I think regardless, they've got to go out and play Islander hockey. I mean, that's that's at the end of the day. They just got to play their game no matter who they play against. And you just nailed it with your Islander hockey. I mean, when you look at all the teams, Islanders have the best defense, and defense wins championship. And if they could play their game, they could go out and beat any one of these teams because the offense they don't really match up well against. Their offense has struggled. But, you know, defense is the key to all of it. I wanted to ask you, too, about, you know, Kyle Palmieri has struggled since coming over to produce. Now, a lot of fans, everyone's like, okay, we don't see the goals, we don't see the assists. But you as an analyst, what are you seeing in his game that where you think he could still help this club going forward, even if he's not scoring the goals? So what's interesting is when you have somebody come into um, the Islanders system at the deadline, and, you know, it happened last year with, with J.G. Pajot, and he was amazing in, in August and September, but he had a, he had a, the benefit of an added um, training camp, right, with COVID. I mean, I don't want, there's not a lot of benefits to COVID, but that might have been one of it for the Islanders. Um, so these guys jump in. Now, there are a lot of other trade deadlines, especially in the Eastern Division, that jumped right in and didn't look back. But with the Islanders specifically, you just mentioned their defense. That's a defensive structure that Barry Trotz put in, puts in play. It's not necessarily overly complicated, but it is very specific and it's very predictable. So it can be hard to, to adjust to that. And that's where a lot of their, when guys come into this system, that's where their thinking is, right? Is how do I, I got to make sure I'm doing everything right on the defensive side of the red line. And then the rest of it, the offensive side of the red line does ultimately sort of fall into place, but it does take a while and sometimes more for other people. So with that said, I think uh, Paul Mary he would even admit that he probably that that he's disappointed in what he has been able to produce. You know, one goal so far is not enough for a goal scorer. Uh, but you look at what um, what he is doing. Otherwise, he's talking to players every time you look down there. He's on the bench talking to his line mates every time he's out there. He's doing a lot of little things right, whether it's on the defensive side of the puck, whether it's um, you know. It, it, as an analyst, I can sort of look, see all of those things playing the right way to use a Barry Trotzism. I mean, he, he has a lot of, I don't know how much you guys listen to Barry Trotz, <laughs> but I joke with him that he's like my life coach. He's like um, Ted Lasso. Like he just <laughs> these things and I'm like, this is unbelievable what you're saying. But, um, but it's, it, 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 you know, playing the right way, ultimately things fall into place. Right. And ultimately that offense will fall into place. With that said, time's running out a little bit, right? I mean, two more regular season games, and although they've already qualified for the playoffs, they need goal scoring. And you got Anders Lee on the shelf, and you've got to figure out who's going to play on that top line. Is it going to be Leo? He's been scratched, and, you know, they're, they're got all these puzzle pieces that Barry Trotz is trying to figure out. So um, I'm seeing, a, seeing some good in Kyle Palmieri, but he does need to start scoring some five-on-five goals. Yeah, that would be nice. I wonder if some of the magic in the beard is now gone, right? I mean, uh, that could be it. I, wasn't that strange, you know? And then the night before, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is true, but the, the night he was traded, they did a uh, call. It's always been Zoom in the time of COVID, but they did a conference call. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if he hadn't shaved yet or he had shaved and they didn't want to make a big deal of it. But it was, that was, you know, beard be gone. Yeah, definitely. So moving the Islander stuff to the side now, you played, you were very successful in your playing career as well, going international. And I know everyone watches the Olympics, right? I mean, the Olympics are a huge thing, whether you're American, Canadian, all over the country, it's a global event. So what was that like being in the Olympics and winning gold? What was that experience like for you? Oh, gosh. You know, that is um, one of probably the, mo- the most um, frequently asked questions and the one that I have yet to find a good answer for because <laughs> it is, it's really hard to put into words. I mean, it's, it's a... It was an amazing experience. I was really fortunate to be a part of that team. It was the first time women's hockey was included in the Olympics. So it's the first ever gold medal awarded that wow. our team won. So it's even got an added element of unique uh, of uniqueness. So um, I look back on it. We didn't know what was going on. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, we, we understood the magnitude of the Olympics, but it, it's the only time I think that it will ever happen that all 20 of us were rookies. Right. I mean, you think about it, none of us have been to the Olympics before. I'm not saying that couldn't happen again, but it'd be pretty rare that nobody would carry over from the four year cycle before. So, you know, to go all the way over to Japan too, amazing country. Nagano was incredibly beautiful. Um, we didn't, you know, just gracious hosts and then um, met Canada in the final. We were, he- they were heavily favored. Uh, so it was an upset and uh, we 
three days earlier on February 14th, we had played them in a, at the end of the round robin, but we had both already qualified for the Olympics. So uh, it was a meaningless game, uh, except I guess it would determine home ice, which, you know, it, so not meaningless, but essentially we had both qualified. It didn't matter. At yeah. that point. We were so well matched and we were down four to one with under 12 minutes to go. And we came back to win seven, four. And that was wow. really where we, we sort of came. I mean, we had been coming together, but that's where we believed. We said, this is, this is our, our medal. We're going to win it. And uh, it was, it was incredible walking the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies. I mean, being in the village um, where all the athletes eat, there are just so many incredible experiences. Obviously my favorite part is winning the gold medal, but there are a lot of other parts that were, um, they're just, uh, you know, lifetime memories. And I still keep in touch with all my teammates. And um, it was amazing to be on site in 2018 when the women won gold in Pyeongchang. I was working for NBC and to be there. And my husband brought my four kids over. And so they got to witness it in person. And it was, it was uh, that, that, the emotion of that surprised me for them to be able to witness this. And, you know, whether they have any parallels or correlations, it just, it was emotional for me. So um, how long after you won the gold medal, did you realize the magnitude of not just your team, but what you guys as a whole, the whole entire women's game, what you guys had done for women in hockey and growing the game? I think it was a while. Um, I mean, we understood we understood that we were sort of launched into the um, forefront because, we, we again, we were so far away, and this is pre-internet, and this is pre-cell phone. So we fly, we are over there for five days afterwards, and I shouldn't say pre-internet, but pre um a lot of, you know, or um, I guess prevalent internet, internet. Um, we were over there and we had no idea, you know, I'm, we come home and I t- start telling people that we won the gold medal and they, yeah, yeah, we know we watch and you're on, you know, front page of the newspapers and we didn't really realize all that. And then suddenly we come back and everybody knew about women's hockey and everybody, you know, little girls were starting to play because they had watched us and because they realized that it's something, it's an option and it wasn't, an option for girls. We had to be sort of, you had to forge your own path and be the only girl on your team wherever you live. So I don't, I don't know when it really struck me. Um, but it was, it was a couple of years later and it was, you know, I think it was after I'd re- retired from playing and I have daughters, I have two daughters, two sons, and you started coaching them and realized that, you know what, this, our team had a, had a pretty big impact on, on this sport and what, what little kids can dream of now. And, and, um, I don't know if there was like an epiphany, like a moment that I realized it and it's sort of a gradual thing, but um, we always felt the responsibility as uh, as pioneers or trailblazers, uh, not in a bad way, but we, we knew that we were we were sort of forging the, forging the way. Um, and then it's been really amazing to see the next generation of Team USA women sort of be, make that path even bigger and wider and, and invite so many more people on, on along the path. Yeah, so you mentioned that impact, and I think one of the things that we've noticed is we have to get the women's game to grow, right? I think I know that Steph and I were watching the Twitch uh, stream of the women's hockey championships and tournament that was going on, and it was awesome. It's great hockey, but we got to get them off Twitch to a bigger platform. So, how do you think that we can grow the women's game and and make it more mainstream, if you will? Yeah, you know, it's visibility. If you can see it, you can dream it, you can be it, right? I mean, that's yep. what it is. And you're right. It's it, uh, Twitch is fantastic and been a, a wonderful partner for women's hockey, but you have to know it's there and you got to log on and you got to, you know, get your account. And, and what we need is we need people that are sitting on the couch and surfing the either cable or network or whatever, and see it and catch their eye and say, Oh, wow, this is actually pretty good. Um, and, you know, I think there was a start, there's been a start through the last couple of years this year, NBC, and I was part of the coverage of the PWHPA Dream Gap Tour and then also the NWHL. So there's, you know, landscape of women's hockey is a little complicated. We don't have to go into that, but there's there's a couple of different entities out there. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think um, selling it, in my opinion, selling it not just to little girls. That's one of the biggest things is that there's always been this feeling of bring your daughters or get, get these youth teams, get these girls teams there, uh, which I understand because yeah. – having these women on this amazing stage gives these little girls something to aspire to be or amazing role models. But on the flip side of it, if you invite your sons and little boys, then they see what a great game it is. And then they grow up to be men that will want to go watch a women's hockey game on a Friday night with their pals and drink beers and hang out. And that to me is one of the biggest differences when it's sold as a as the amazing spectator sport that it is, and it can be not just as a women's game, that to me is going to make the difference. 
Yeah, it's got to be sold as hockey, not just women's hockey. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens when fans can go into the arenas finally. I know, like They had this whole Isabel Cup, and there was no fans allowed there, but who knows? I know that there was actually, growing up, I lived in Brooklyn growing up, and there was a team, the New York Aviators, that they had a women's hockey team play in that arena. So I went a couple of times, and you're right on the action. It's awesome. I think we definitely have to market the game and, and get it to grow a little bit more and, and get more people involved, both male, female, and whatever. Uh, whoever wants to go, it's awesome to watch. you got to go there. Yeah, it's, it is a great sport. It's a great product, and, um, and I think that there are people that don't understand it and will say, oh, well, there's no fighting. Yeah, that's true. We, you know, we wear full masks. So if you, if you want to fight, you're sort of an idiot because you're going to hurt your hand. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they say that there's no hitting. Well, it's physical though. If you watch it there, it's really, really physical or it's not quite as fast. We'll tell that to Kendall Coyne Schofield who smoked the, <laughs> the NWH, I mean, sorry, the NHL all-star game. So, you know, I think there are all these, there, there are a ton of people that will have all these reasons why it's not as marketable. The reason it hasn't sold at this point is just, it's not visible. It just has sure. to get out there. It has to become more accessible and and more people ha- will have to have the ability uh, to consume it. Why is there no hitting? Like I've always wondered that. So I'm five foot eleven. So I always wondered that too because <laughs> I'm pretty big. Uh, I got a lot of penalties, and I grew up playing. I grew up playing checking hockey, right? I've Correct. Yep. Until certain until like midway through high school. Um, you know, I, I I don't know um, other than that's the way it's always been, and I'm I'm sort of on the fence about changing it. I, I think there's part of me that would make the officiating a lot easier because it's a, it's a more clear cut game. Whereas right now for the refs to call a body contact, but no body checking game makes for very inconsistent refing, which is hard. And it's hard to explain it as a broadcaster too, because yep. uh, there's a lot of body contact. Um, with that said, on the flip side, I think it's a great game and I think it's a really fast game. So do we need to add big checks? Now you look at the men's game. I actually think they're going away from the big hits They're getting to be a little, they're not getting to be, but they're actually getting in the direction of where women's hockey is like body contact, body checks along the wall, but not the big open ice hits, which is essentially what women's hockey is. There's checking along the walls, but there's just not going to be the big, excuse me, the big open ice hit. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that other than a long time ago, it was probably uh, born out of a chauvinism. But I think now it's a it's a great game as is. Do I think hitting would ruin it? No. Do I think it needs hitting? No. So if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, AJ, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, you're good. You guys are great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry it was a, it took a little time to track me down, but I was happy to join you today. <laughs> All good. Awesome. Definitely talk soon. The Backcheck is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Backcheck. Follow the show on social media at BackcheckPod. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more.